Um, And we're going to turn to John chapter 12, if you've got a Bible um, or a phone or something where you can find John chapter 12, that would be great. And uh, let me um, make a, not really a confession, but this is the third point from last week's uh, sermon. Um, Oh, just as Globe Minis head out, buy Globe Minis, have a fab time with your leaders. Um, so this is, this is the third point of last week's sermon, which we didn't quite get to. I apologize for that. Um, and I think when we look at it today, you'll see why it was probably a good idea not to have done it last week. Um, because what, what you discover, if you're not very familiar with the Bible or if you're quite new to this stuff, the Bible is an extraordinary book. The more you look at it, the more you read it, the more there is... And the, 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 the more the beauty unfolds before you. And, and so actually to take some time to, to look at the depth that's here. So this is my third point from last week's sermon. Um, and I, I hope it's going to be a real blessing to us um, as we come to God's Word. But let me read um, from verse 27 of John chapter 12. Just to fill you in on the story, just to keep reminding you, John chapter 12 is a key chapter in John's gospel. It's the hinge. Jesus has done these signs, these seven signs that show his glory, that show how great he is. But now, everything now switches from those powerful miracles now to a real focus on his death. He's now heading for the cross and he's going to die. And he wants his disciples and he wants us and he wants you to know why he's going to die, and what it all means. And so last week we were thinking about this image of a seed that goes into the ground and produces many seeds. Now look what he says in verse 27. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No. It was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. The crowd that was there and heard it said it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus said, this voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. And I, when I'm lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. The crowd spoke up. We've heard from the law that the Messiah will remain forever. So how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Then Jesus told them, you are going to have the light just a little while longer, while you have the light before darkness overtakes you. Whoever walks in the dark does not know where they're going. Believe in the light while you have the light, so that you may become children of light. When he'd finished speaking, Jesus left and hid himself from them. This is God's Word, and we're going to um, dig around and explore it together. And I want to start with this, this death of Jesus, the cross of Jesus. And this moment, even if you're very new to churchy things, my guess is that you will be aware that there's something about the cross. I mean, look, there's a whacking great cross here. The, 
Churches put crosses all over the place. Why do we celebrate the moment when our founder, our hero, our king was executed? Why is that our focal point? The cross of Jesus towers over human history. And probably for many of us sitting here, we'd say, yeah, yeah, it's really important. I think the cross of Jesus is important. But I wonder sometimes if we have what I might call a one-dimensional view of the cross. Right? This is how it goes, okay? It says this, yes, Jesus died on a cross and he died for me. He died to forgive all of my sin. He died to give me eternal life. He died to bring me into his family. He died to take me to heaven forever and ever and ever and ever. Yes, the cross is important. Now, all of those things are true. So please don't hear me saying, that's not right. It is. All of that stuff is true. But that's one dimension. And if all that we see when we think about the cross is, he died for me, he died for me, he died for me, we've got a one-dimensional view. And the, the cross, what Jesus says, just even in these few words, Jesus is going to explode your view of what the cross of Jesus really is all about. In fact, what Jesus is going to do is take your one-dimensional view and he's going to expand it into a five-dimensional view. Jesus is going to show you five dimensions of what the cross is achieving, what it's really about. It's so much bigger than just, he died for me to forgive my sin. It's so much more than that. It is that. Please don't go away saying, John, said that Jesus didn't die. He did, right? I get it. But it's more. There used to be a TV program called Flat Stanley. Anyone ever... No. No, no. Okay, fine. All right, just me. Flat Stanley lived his life. He was flat, right? He was just this kid. He was flat. <laughs> I, I, don't know what the, I don't know where that came from, uh, but that was the premise. And, uh, and he, he had a happy time because he could kind of be rolled up and he could get through doors and stuff. But the problem is his whole life was in one dimension. Well, two dimensions, strictly speaking. But a flat... Okay, forget flat Stanley. We're trying to get an unflat view of Jesus. Okay, try this. Richard Branson today. Do you know what Richard Branson's doing today? He's not in church. Do you know where he is? He's in a rocket flying to space to be the first rich man to go into space so that we can all say, wow, aren't you rich? And the reason he wants to go, one of the things he's most excited about is so that he can see the earth. And so that he can look and see the dimensions because he's been told that a picture, I was reading this stuff yesterday, a picture just doesn't quite do it justice. I want to see it with my own eyes. And I sort of get that. We, We all know that experience. I've seen a picture of something, but when I see the reality in three dimensions, when I see it in its fullness, there's something so rich. What if this afternoon God took you and didn't just give you a three-dimensional view of the cross, but gave you a five-dimensional view of the cross, which was so awesome that we might leave here and we might even forget there's a football match happening tonight. Just momentarily. And then we can watch the match. Do you want that? 
Is there anything in you that aches for that? Jesus is preparing his disciples for this hour that's coming, this moment when he's going to die, and he needs them to understand. Here are the five dimensions. Here's the first one. The cross is all about the glorifying of God. That's what's happening at the cross. And so, yes, it's true that Jesus died for me and he died to forgive me my sin and he died because he loves me and he died to save me and give me a place in heaven. But there's a bigger answer to the reason why Jesus died. Why did Jesus die on a cross? He died on a cross for the glory of God. He died on a cross to glorify his Father. So have a look what he says in verse 27. Look down at it again with me. In verse 27, he says, now my soul is troubled. Why is his soul troubled? Well, because he knows what's about to happen to him. He knows that he's going to face the physical agony of the cross, but not just the physical agony, but the spiritual agony as the sin of the world is placed upon him and he dies as a sacrifice paying for the sin of the world. He's troubled. He didn't go skipping to the cross going, yay! He went to the cross troubled with a heavy heart, terrified of what lay in store for him. And so why did he go? He says, am I going to pray, Father, save me from this hour? No. This moment, this cross that Jesus came for, he says, that's what I came for. I came for this very hour And so what is he going to pray? Not, Father, save me. Instead, he's going to pray, verse 28, Father, glorify your name. What is it that motivated Jesus to go through the agony and the troubling pain of the cross? When he was overwhelmed with sorrow and trouble, what was it that motivated him? I think by nature, in our one-dimensional view, we'd have gone, well, because he loved me. He loved me so much that he was willing to go through all that trouble and pain. Actually, the answer here is not that he loved me, but that he loved the glory of his Father. He wanted, he was motivated, he was empowered by the glorifying of God's name. You see, that's what we must think when we think of the cross. You know, sometimes um, we talk about public displays of affection when, you know, two people are walking down the street and they're, you know, being overly affectionate with one another. They're going, oh, it's a PDA, a public display of affection. Well, the cross is a PDG. It's a public display of glory. It is Jesus publicly saying to the world, God is glorious. And the reason this is important is it because it moves us from a me-centered view of the world, what you might call an anthropocentric view of the world, anthro-humanity, where human beings are at the center of everything, and instead it moves us to a God-centered, a theocentric view of the world. Where no longer we say, it's about me, me, me. Instead we say, it's about him. It's about God and his glory. 
Back in, um, in the Psalms, there's this great psalm that says, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory. You see, we live in a world where humanity gets placed at the center, where we go, yes to us, yes to us, and to our name be the glory. But here is Jesus showing us what it means to glorify God even by going to death on a cross. So there is a purpose, right? You've got to see this. When Jesus died on a cross, there is a mysterious, eternal purpose going on. We've seen over and over again in John's Gospel that Jesus is the Son of the Father, the Father and the eternal Son of God, who for all eternity have existed with the Spirit, Father, Son, and Spirit, this trinity, this triunity, this one God in three persons who created all things, who live in this perfect community of love. And within that Father, Son, and Spirit, there is this one purpose, this one will to save humanity and to love this world that they've created, which has turned its back on God and the Father and the Son and the Spirit, who are forever glorified and are infinite and are beyond, beyond imagination in their splendor. They have a plan to glorify their name. That's where the cross comes from. The cross is all about God's glory. And if you don't see that, then this is when the gospel, this is when the message of Jesus gets distorted, right? If you fail to see that actually Jesus died for the glory of God... If you don't see that, then you end up with a gospel that becomes all about me and what I need and what I want. We end up reducing the gospel, reducing the good news, rather than being caught up in this story about the glory of God, this eternal story which you can trace back before the beginning of time which will go on into eternity forever and ever. The glory of God, it is the great story. And we say rather than seeing ourselves as part of that great story, instead we make it about us. The God, good news of Jesus is about me being met and my needs being fulfilled. And we think it's about my pleasure and my comfort and my happiness and does the gospel work for me? Does the gospel fit into my life? Do I, do I want this message of Jesus? Now actually, the, the reason Jesus died was to glorify God. That's where true blessing and joy for us ultimately is found. Not in self-actualization, not in self-fulfillment, but in finding my place in the great story of the glory of God. You see, it might be said, and, I, and, and people have said to me, isn't God a bit egocentric to seek his own glory? <laughs> you know, if there was any human being who said, yes, I um, exist for my glory, and I want all of you to worship me, 
I think that you would rightly say, hang on a second, that doesn't sound right. That sounds egotistical. And if I were to say that to you, it would be. But here's the difference. He's God. <laughs> He's not a man. He's not a human being. He is the creator of all things. He's the God who alone is to be worshipped. He's the God who dwells in beautiful and awesome glory. And therefore to worship him is to give him what he is owed. It's to do what is right. And so Jesus prays, Father, glorify your name. And look what, look what the Father answers from heaven, the voice from heaven says, I have glorified it and will glorify it again. God says, yes, that is what I'm doing. It is about the glory of my name. He doesn't say, oh, Jesus, don't. No, you be glorified, Jesus, you be glorified. He doesn't do that. He receives glory. He accepts it. Jesus prays, Father, glorify your name. And the Father says, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. Throughout history, God has been working for his own glory. Why did God rescue his people out of Egypt? For his own glory. Why did God save people? Why did God rescue his people through the Red Sea? Why did God build a people? Why did God give people a king? Why did God do all these things? Why did God send his son? Why did Jesus do miracles? All for the glory of God. That is the ultimate end of all things. The glory of God. And our blessing and joy is found in understanding and becoming part of that story. You know, actually, it becomes a great, liberating, joyful relief when you understand that we get caught up in the glory of God. That's what the good news is. So when you look at Jesus dying on the cross, you need to understand that he was dying for the glory of God. That was what was motivating him. It wasn't that he thought about me and thought, oh, how could I not die for John T? He's so lovely. He thought, how can I not die for the glory of my Father? That was what motivated him. Here's a second dimension. He was dying for the, um, to bring judgment on the world. Have you ever thought about that, the, the cross? As you'd come in today and I said, why do you think Jesus died on the cross? Nearly all of us would have said he died to save me. Absolutely right. I think very few of us would have said he died um, to bring judgment on this world. But that's what he says. Have a look at what it says in verse 30. The crowd are confused. They've, they've heard this voice. They think it's thunder. Jesus says, no, this voice was for your benefit. Come on, wake up. You need to understand this stuff. Verse 31, he says, now is the time for judgment on the world. So now is the time for glory to God, and now, as Jesus dies on the cross, is the time for judgment on this world. Well, what does that mean? How is the cross judgment on the world? 
You see, we tend to imagine that judgment is a future thing. There is a future day when God will judge the world. And, and the Bible says that, right? The Bible says there will be a day in the future. Even in John's Gospel, back in John 5, John said this. There'll be a day when God will judge. A time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear the voice of Jesus and come out. Those who've done good will rise to live and those who've done evil will rise to be condemned. There is a day of judgment coming. But there's more, Jesus says. Because when Jesus died on the cross, something of that future day of judgment was dragged into human history. What's going on? Something is happening as Jesus dies on the cross that is deeply connected to that future day of judgment. Well, we need to stop. What does judgment actually mean? What do you think it means to be judged? What is that? Well, literally, the word judgment is crisis. That's what the word is. And it means a separation. Judgment is about being separated. So imagine um, a, a weightlifting competition. And you've got two people, and you think, I don't know which one of those two is the strongest. They both look pretty strong. And they, uh, you start with your bar with you know, not much weight on it, you know, your one-kilogram bar. And, and they both kind of go, and, everyone, and that doesn't tell you anything. That hasn't brought judgment. That hasn't separated them. They still look, you can't tell. And you keep adding weights until a point comes when one weight is added and that becomes the crisis moment. That becomes the moment of judgment because that becomes the moment when one of them lifts it and one of them doesn't. That becomes the moment when they are separated. That's what judgment means. Judgment is the dividing of the guilty from the innocent. At the moment, as you look around this world, you can't really see much different between people, but there's coming a day when people will be separated into two groups. The guilty and the... So I'm not pointing at one half. <laughs> I'm not declaring it now. Okay, we're not, this is not it. But the guilty and the innocent... <laughs> Now, what makes the dividing line down the middle? What divides those two groups? You see, by nature, we would think, well, it's about the law, right? It's about those who've kept the law, the innocent, and those who've broken the law, the guilty. And so we might think about the Ten Commandments. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image. Do not misuse God's name. Remember the Sabbath day. Honor your father and mother. Don't kill. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't lie. Don't cover. We, th we think it's about those ten commandments. That those who've kept them are innocent and those who haven't are guilty. And that's the law is the dividing line, the crisis point. The law is what marks people out. Here's the problem with the law. Here's the problem with the ten commandments. If that's the dividing line, if that's the crisis, if that's the judgment, everybody's guilty. You see, there's not one person sitting in this room who can say, oh yeah, I've kept all the Ten Commandments. 
Not one person, particularly when Jesus takes the Ten Commandments and says, actually, it's all about your heart. It's about not becoming angry. It's about not having lustful thoughts. It's about not being greedy, let alone it's about loving God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Anyone here think they're innocent? Anyone here ready to put up their hand and say, oh yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to be on that side of the room? No. All of us are guilty. All have fallen short. It means that if the law is the dividing line, everybody is guilty. That's bad news. It means all would be condemned. But this is why God, the Father, Son, and Spirit, who forever have existed in this beautiful, wonderful community of love, this is why they've acted. They've acted to do something to save the world. God the Father, listen to this, this is John 5. God the Father entrusted judgment to the Son. He said to His Son in this divine purpose, this divine plan, He said, Son, I want you. I want you to be the judge. That is, I want you to be the dividing line. And so the law by which God will judge, sorry, the line by which God will judge is not the law anymore. It's Jesus. Jesus becomes the dividing line between all of humanity. He becomes the crisis point. And in particular, not just Jesus, but as he says here, his death on the cross. Now is the time for judgment. That is now. The cross of Jesus provides the great crisis point that drives a line. Because when Jesus died on the cross... He took our guilt. He took our punishment. We have failed. We are condemned by the law. But because God is so gracious and kind, He sent His Son to die. And Jesus was condemned in our place. So that now, He says, it's not about the law anymore. Now it's about me. All who believe in me will be declared innocent And all who reject me will be declared guilty. You see, that is why the cross is judgment. The cross stands. Jesus' death on the cross makes it possible for anyone to be declared innocent. But if you reject him, then you are guilty. And it's that simple. And so that future day when you meet God as your judge... He will not ask you, how many of the Ten Commandments did you keep? He will not ask you, how many good works have you done? Have you done enough? Let's weigh them. How much money did you give to charity? How many prayers did you pray? How often did you go to church? Were you nice to your granny? He won't ask you those questions. He will simply ask you one question, and this will be the question. What did you do with Jesus? Did you believe in Jesus or did you reject him? Because the crisis has come. Because Jesus' death on the cross is what now divides all of humanity. And all of humanity now falls into one of these two groups. Either 
innocent and blessed because they have believed in Jesus and their guilt has been taken away by Jesus at the cross or guilty and condemned because they refuse to believe. And so Jesus says, now is the time for judgment on this world. That's what the cross does. The cross divides humanity. Which side are you on? You see, as we look at the cross, we see the glory of God, but we see judgment on this world. And then third dimension, and this is why this would have been a terrible point for last week's sermon. You're getting it now, right? There's a lot here. The third dimension is that the cross, when Jesus dies, is the driving out of the enemy. So again, as you walked in this afternoon, if I'd said to you, why did Jesus die on the cross? I don't think many of us would have instinctively said, "Jesus died. oh, Jesus died on the cross to drive out the enemy. And yet the cross where Jesus died is achieving all of these things at once. You see, the Bible's really clear that there is an enemy. Right the way through the Bible, you find the presence of an enemy. He's given many different names, but they all refer to the same reality. At various times, he might be called the devil, or the accuser, or the destroyer, or the deceiver, or Satan. And here, Jesus refers to him as the prince of this world. So here he is in verse 31. Jesus says, now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. The prince of this world. That's a strange name, isn't it? Almost seems to dignify him with a certain level of authority. He's the prince of this world. But actually indicates that, yes, he does have some authority in this world. There's another place that calls him the ruler of the kingdom of the air, this world. But here's the deal. This enemy, it's not a legitimate authority, right? It's a stolen authority. It's an authority he has grabbed for himself and God has allowed him to hold for a little while. Like a squatter. You know, you go on holiday and you come back and you find that someone has moved into your house. (laughs) Scary thought. And they find the house and they move in and for a brief time they act like they own the place. They make themselves coffee. They watch whatever they want on Netflix, they buy some stuff on Amazon. They, they, they act as if they own the place, but it's not legitimate. And at some point, that authority will one day come crashing down when you get back from holiday and you will drive them out and say, how dare you be here? You have no right to be here. And at the cross, Jesus is driving out the enemy. This imposter and his attempt to grab authority from God. You see, when Jesus died on the cross, it looks like the great victory for the enemy, right? It looks like, ah, look, the Son of God is dead. It looks as if Satan, the devil, has won. But actually at the cross, Jesus is destroying Satan and his power. Jesus is robbing Satan of his authority. 
And he does it in all sorts of ways. I haven't got time to do all this now. He does it in so many different ways. You know, Satan loves to accuse us. You're a failure. You're a failure. And, it, and he keeps reminding us, if the law is the line that divides us, you failed, you've broken the law, you're condemned, you're condemned, you're condemned. But when Jesus died on the cross and forgave all our sin, Satan's got nothing left. Because when he comes to you and he says, you're a failure, you turn around and go, I know. <laughs> yeah. I'm a total failure, but I believe in Jesus, and Jesus has forgiven all my sin, and I'm his, and I'm his forever, so shut up. <laughs> you see, he's got nothing left. He's got no power. He's like a snake that's got no poison left. He's got no teeth. So he can slither up to you, but he can only suck you. <laughs> he, can't ha- <laughs> he can't harm you. And he still, he still prowls around. He's not yet finally defeated, but his power has been broken. He has been driven out. Uh, if you want to look at this more, Revelation chapter 12 talks about Satan being thrown out of heaven. And so we don't need to fear evil because Jesus died on the cross. And so at the cross, Jesus died to defeat the, our great enemy, the devil. Jesus died to smash his authority and set us free. You see, it's not just that he died to forgive your sin. He's done so much more than that. There's so much we could be said. Okay, here's the fourth dimension. The, the, Jesus died to, to draw the nations, the drawing of the nations. Have a look at... Um, Verse 32, and I, when I'm lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. And so Jesus, when he's put on a cross and nails are driven through his hands and his feet and he's lifted up on a cross to die, he says that will be the moment when I will be drawing, powerfully drawing all people to myself. Okay, here's the thing, right? You've got to think about this carefully. I know we're quite a long way through. Um, We may be drifting off, but think about this carefully. Jesus didn't die just to make salvation possible. He died to make it effectual. He died to make it happen. So it's the difference between here you are drowning, okay? Drowning in 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 the sea, and I fly over in a helicopter, and I drop a rope to you. I say, there's a rope. Grab the rope. (laughs) I've made salvation possible for you because there's now a rope. But you still have to swim to the rope and grab it and hold on and be... It's, It's not that. It's much more. I tie myself to the rope. I come down and I grab hold of you. Probably you don't want me to be doing this. You probably choose someone else much better at this, but grab hold of you and I lift you up, right? It's the difference between salvation being possible and salvation being effectual. So the death of Jesus on the cross, it doesn't, it's not just an invitation that says, now you can come, anyone can come, whoever wants to come. It's more powerful than that. Jesus doesn't just invite you to come to him, he actively draws you to him by dying on the cross. 
Now, it's very clear in John's Gospel that not everybody comes to Jesus. Um, so, for example, Judas, one of Jesus' disciples, doesn't come to Jesus. And so it seems the best way to understand this from reading other bits of John's Gospel is that when Jesus says he will draw all people to himself, he means all of his people, all those whom he is saving, all of his sheep. He has made it very clear that there are some who are his sheep and there are some who are not. And Jesus actively saves all those who are his. It seems to be what Jesus is teaching. Which, of course, raises lots of questions which you may want to, want to ask some more stuff about, which would be great, and we can think about that. But for now, I want you to know that if you are trusting Jesus, he drew you. Before you chose him, he chose you. When he was lifted up on the cross, it wasn't just that he invited you to come. He compelled you to come. He grabbed hold of you and made you his. Do you see that? That's how much he loves you. That's how you can rely and trust on him. More than invitation, he draws. And he draws people from all nations. He draws all sorts of people to come to him. And if you're sitting here saying, well, I'm not a Christian, well, then I wonder, can you see how compelling he is? Right now, will you come to him? He died for you. He died. He died to draw you to himself. And then the, the fifth thing, and we're running out of time, as always. The fifth thing is um, that the, the cross shows the urgency of the moment. The death of Jesus shows how urgent it is that we respond. So the crowd are confused. They've got lots of questions. Oh, don't get it. How can the Son of Man be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man? Don't get it. Don't get it. Don't get it. Jesus says, look, we haven't got long. You're going to have the light just a little while longer. Walk while you have the light before darkness overtakes you. Whoever walks in the dark does not know where they're going. Believe in the light while you have the light. Jesus says, don't put it off. Don't keep ignoring. Don't keep making excuses. Walk in the light. And as you come to Jesus, as you believe in him, you become children of light. This is what's happening at the cross. I don't know, I, I, I hope some of these things may have grabbed you and may, made you think a little bit. These dimensions of the cross, and I mean, there's tons more that you can see in the Bible, but I, I want you to see the cross is so much richer and bigger and more spectacular than we normally reduce it to. Let's not settle for a one-dimensional view of the cross. It reveals the glory of God. That's what the whole of creation is about. That's what your life is about. And Jesus calls, draws us to follow him. So this afternoon, where, where, where do you stand? Where are you? I guess some of us would say, I, I'm, 
I've, I've never come to him. Well, this afternoon, would you let him draw you to himself right now? Right now, he's drawing you. Right now, he's calling to you. By name, he's saying, come on, stop faffing around and follow me. You've been around for long enough. You know enough. Come follow me. Would you do that this afternoon? Would you become part of this great story of glory that God is writing? Would you come and move from death to life, cross that line, go from being condemned to being innocent and free? Would you believe in Jesus? Or it may be that some of us, we, we do believe in Jesus, but we have a very one-dimensional view of the cross. This afternoon, would you ask him to show you more of what he's done? That you might reorient your life, that your life might be about the glory of God, that your life might go from being anthropocentric to being theocentric, not me-centered, but God-centered. A gospel that is not about me and my needs, but is about God and his glory, and say, God, I want to live for your glory. You've saved me. You've taken me from death to life. I want to live for your glory and your glory alone. I want to walk in this light. Wherever you are, how are we going to respond this afternoon? Let's take a moment um, of quiet and we're going to pray together. Heavenly Father, we praise you this afternoon. We praise you that when Jesus died on the cross, what you were doing was remarkable. Lord, this moment in history when this man died in agony and in many ways looked so weak and pathetic, actually what you were doing was mind-blowing. As you revealed your glory, as you brought judgment on this world, as you drove out the prince of this world, as you drew people to yourself, and then as you showed us the urgency that we act, that we walk in in this light. Lord, we pray that we would see the cross in a fresh way, that it would shape our lives. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.